Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every basket, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a three-pointer at the buzzer to tie the game or a player that goes two for two at the foul line. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. Chocolate milk provides real recovery backed by real science so you can put in the real work. Research shows that drinking low-fat chocolate milk after a strenuous workout is a nutritious way to rebuild your body and build lean muscle. That's because low-fat chocolate milk has the right mix of protein and carbs that your body needs and provides fluids and electrolytes to replenish what you lose in sweat. See the real science at BuiltWithChocolateMilk.com. That's BuiltWithChocolateMilk.com. Wow, first time we've recorded at this time in a while. And you know what? It was sloppy basketball, but at least it was real regular season NBA basketball. So it, it's good to actually have that yeah, to talk it about. It remains to be seen exactly what real NBA basketball during the regular season is for the Golden State Warriors. But let's just start with Philly and Boston, a game I was much more interested to see because of so many of the changes that we've seen with these teams. Markel Fultz coming back for Philly. He started Gordon Hayward, his return, Kyrie Irving coming back from surgery we wanted to see how all those guys were going to mesh together uh, on this boston team and what i don't think we need to go through the whole you know play by play blow by blow of this game but what were some of just your main takeaways from this contest gordon hayward is going to need some time to get right physically i mean he his jump shot looked better in the second half than the first half but still not all the way there yet and but I think the most important thing, because Hayward, I, I feel confident that that will come with time. I mean, it's just it just happens, you know, when a guy's coming back from a horrific injury and first game in this kind of a circumstance, regular season NBA game. But something to watch for Philly this entire season is the dynamic when Markel Fultz and Ben Simmons share the floor. And, you know, Fultz didn't take any threes in this game. He did take a couple of pull up twos. One went in, I think two missed. And my biggest concern starting Fultz over Redick is that you're not really creating much of a benefit because Ben Simmons likes having the ball in his hands. Ben Simmons is wonderful with the ball in his hands and Redick provides so much more value as an off ball player than Markel Fultz. It's good to have a second creator there, but you're, you're giving up a lot and I'm fine with the Sixers trying it. I actually support them doing it at the beginning of the season, see what you have, all that kind of stuff. But I think this game provided an indication that at least for right now, but probably for longer than that. They're, I think Redick should slide more with Simmons and Fultz run the show separately. Agreed with what you said on Hayward. We'll come back to that. But I'm in total agreement with you here. Markel Fultz, I don't even know if as the second unit point guard, he's capable of helping this team win basketball games right now. But certainly starting alongside Ben Simmons against a good defensive team in particular, it really gets ugly. And maybe the biggest indication of that was the Sixers attempts to post up in the first half and they certainly tried to do that a little bit too much it seemed like and not only was it Embiid it's Saric uh it's Simmons guys trying to get real deep post position even in transition to attack 
not necessarily mismatches when you're facing the basket, but kind of mini mismatches, especially when there isn't help loaded to you like it is late in the shot clock against a switching defense. And I applaud them. They've really been focusing on that, trying to find a different way with their personnel because they don't have the type of ISO creators who are going to unlock a switching defense on their own, unless you want to say it's Joel Embiid in the post, who we'll talk about more later. But a number of times in the first half, we saw guys not only ignoring Marco Fultz and Ben Simmons off the ball, but when they actually had the ball, sloughing so far off them that they just either couldn't enter the ball into the post at all or tried to enter it and then just turned it over. And Simmons is already a tough fit when the guy who has the ball in his hands the most just can't even make really a free throw line jumper. He took a couple, but you know it doesn't look like it's going to be significantly upgraded from last year. And then Fultz, again, I mean, all right, that's great that he made one three-pointer in the preseason against the Magic, but it's not there yet. And again, I've said this many times, I'm very hopeful that Marco Fultz can get back to being the player that he was. I thought he should have been the number one pick, but I just see very little evidence that even after that whole summer work he put in to to look a little bit better than he did, if he's not going to be taking in games when guys slough off of him by 15 feet and he has the ball in his hands, He's got a very, very long way to go, and it's nearly impossible to imagine that he'll be able to contribute this year with his jumper in this state. And it's going to take another summer now, and he's still not even back to where he was at the end of college. And you know, the thought was that he was going to continue to evolve, as most players do from there, rather than just be struggling to even get back to the point where he was uh, as a freshman. So, uh, yeah, go ahead. Well, and that's something I want to bring up here is that the pull-up jumper in particular wasn't just a part of Marco Fultz's game. I, it wasn't his biggest strength, but it was a strength. I mean, it was something that he attacked opponents on at Washington. We saw it back at the Nike Hoop Summit when he was there. And I mean, I've always liked his handle better than his shot, but to take that away from him, whether it's temporarily or permanently, we still don't know. It neutralizes so many things about him because most players can't attack the space given to them if, if an opponent doesn't respect their jump shot. I mean, there are certain guys, Simmons has been better at it overall. And one of the other big differences, you brought up the entry passes, and that was another difference between when, when Fultz was in there and when J.J. Redick was in there. And Redick actually started the second half. He played significant minutes after not starting the game. He ended up, and he probably could have, you know, we would have liked for him to play more. He played 30 minutes, but he had, you know, there were, he can't really play that many no. more minutes than that. Another reason why you probably want him to start. And they wanted Redick in there because, Reddick can actually make an entry pass because his defender has to actually be close to him. And Philly, I'm optimistic. Those of you who listen to the preseason predictions podcast will know this, but they are going to struggle. They're playoff vulnerable, but they're going to struggle against good defenses and smart defenses because they don't really have that killer app, that that way to score against teams that know what they're doing and that have the personnel to stop it. And so there will be nights where they just look flat, where they look off. And a lot of those nights will come against the Boston Celtics because Boston has a lot of the things that cause Philadelphia problems. But I think that's kind of an important line in the sand to draw. Nothing is permanent, obviously, at this point in the year. But it's that Philly that they they didn't have a real big change in personnel, but that it doesn't seem like they have any big wrinkles to unlock what Boston scrambled so much in them last year. I agree with you there. One of those wrinkles we were hoping would be the post-up game of Joel Embiid. Again, we did not see from Embiid the ability to post up one-on-one against Al Horford. 
when they double teamed him it was relatively effective he had a couple of plays right at the charge circle a couple of nice drives but the hope was that he could start maturing into this shack like force that you just couldn't deal with he's so much bigger than everyone else and that again against boston an elite defensive team to be sure but the team that they're gonna have to play in the playoffs one of the two probably them in toronto well they Embiid did not look like he was going to be the dominating force and there's a very fast-paced game uh tons of turnovers uh, as well for philly especially early on they finished with 16 five out of 26 from three didn't help but they'd like to get up more threes uh, than that also uh so yeah it doesn't appear like they're any closer to unlocking things than another philly issue and we mentioned this in their preview we mentioned how it was a big issue before those buyout signings really so and bellinelli last year if you're going to consider jj reddick really as as a starter they got one guy who i think you can look at as a solid reserve and that's cj mcconnell coming off the bench you know i don't think Fultz is there yet. although his defense did look pretty good maybe he'll look better against other teams he also couldn't finish at the room which is the other problem if he can actually finish some of these layups that he creates then you can feel a lot better about him but you know he hasn't looked good with that either uh so they got amir johnson landry shamet sorry landry shamet i'm still never gonna get that right landry shamet is really the only other guy who can make a shot coming off the bench he was 0 for 4 but he'll at least run around and you have to guard him uh you know they desperately desperately need wilson chandler they might even jared bayless might even play for these guys hell uh when he comes back but chandler is, is not close yet so it, it's uh and amir johnson did not look particularly good either the good news was joel Embiid was able to play 37 minutes and he looked to be in better shape he was running the floor pretty well ben simmons had to play 43 minutes in this game although he might have been going for a triple double late so it's uh just not looking too great to start i mean it's only one game obviously but we always say about the early season that and we say this about draft prospects too that when the things that you are seeing early fit into the same concerns that you had about them going into the season that's when you know it can start to raise view alarms. you know i think philly's still we're gonna win 50 games they're not like hitting the panic panic button but for those who wanted to say that they're in the same league as boston this was not a positive data point especially because you know boston their defense looked pretty good as always but offensively really their guys did not get it going at all with uh hayward and irving a combined six out of 26 from the field yeah and hayward's jump shot you know you you noted on twitter during the game that it looked like he was shooting a little bit on the way down it did look a little bit better in the second half and Kyrie. Had some moments where he created separation and then couldn't deliver on that. I fully expect Kyrie Irving to eventually become Kyrie Irving. It's not a big concern for me. I, I, but I'm a little concerned. I'm a little concerned. And we got some feedback uh, from Jared. Jared's point was, well, Kyrie, he's, you could say, you know, he's injury prone or whatever. But, you know, this surgery was because he had an infection. And it was an issue from the last surgery. And yeah, I understand that point. Uh, but number one. He still is coming back from a surgery, a surgery that was severe enough that he missed a, a ton of time. You know, he doesn't look particularly svelte, I would say. Uh, also worth noting that, you know, he's had plenty of other injury issues besides just that knee fracture. Remember in that 2015 playoffs, he was really struggling with knee tendonitis. He, uh, even in his first few years, he, he missed a bunch of time. He had the broken foot at, at Duke. So eventually you have enough surgeries, you have enough injuries that starts to add up. You know, I didn't really see... Kyrie able to blow by guys to get to the basket. It's very interesting that Philly actually switched, I thought, in this game maybe more than Boston did when Boston, we've been talking about their like size switching ability. But then again, Philly isn't the type of team that where you're going to want to switch a lot because they don't really have 
you know that one great pick and roll ball handler at the top of the key uh who's gonna bang a three on you if you don't switch so yeah you, you know again you you want to say hey Kyrie is gonna come back he, he's gonna be himself but early returns I mean Jared thought he looked really good in the preseason I, I kind of disagreed with him I thought he looked a, a little slower was not really getting the separation again this is against a great defensive team Joel Embiid was awesome defensively in this game um but yeah he doesn't look great right now Hayward I'm probably more concerned about than him especially because as you mentioned he's like shooting on the way down he's kind of got a little bit of a hitch and shot he used to have one of the smoothest looking jumpers in the league and he hit a few of them where he kind of like started shooting more of a set shot, but then there was others where he was trying to jump out of the gym and, and he was shooting on the way down. That didn't look good. Then he got in the lane, was trying to finish with some Euro steps, got blocked. He wasn't getting the explosion. Uh, I thought he looked pretty good on defense, actually. He had four steals. Um, it was also interesting they actually didn't start Hayward in the second half. They went with Aaron Baines, who was awesome. Again, uh, apparently this three-point shooting is going to be a real thing, despite the fact that he shoots his three-pointers with his right foot like a foot behind his left foot as a right-handed shooter, but he's shooting from above the break and making him now. Well, and not only that, but he wasn't planting on his right foot in full. He was planting on the front half and not so, the back half, which I found really interesting. It was so weird looking. But, but Aaron Baines in, in this yeah. game, one of my favorite stats. So in this game, he made half as many three-pointers as in the rest of his the regular season and the rest of his career because his resurg- his surgeons, not resurgence, his surgeons was all in the playoffs. He had 11 threes made in the playoffs and had four in his career in the regular season before tonight. So we'll see if that continues. I thought he had a nice game. I thought he did a pretty good job on Embiid as well in yeah, the post. absolutely. Baines, you know, it, it just... And one thing I want to mention just because I think people, this will be something that we end up talking about for a portion of the season. I think Ben Simmons is a more capable man-to-man defender than some people give him credit for. I mean, Philly has guys, Robert Covington, even though he missed a boatload of threes in this game. You know, Covington's a wonderful man-to-man defender and does well in, in team circumstances as well. But Simmons, when he gets into it, can just really shut guys down, both on a switch or through a whole possession. So I'm excited to see what he does game in, game out this season because A, the Sixers are have a bigger target on their backs, and B, Simmons is handling this gigantic offensive load in terms of running the offense. So I don't know that he's going to be that like all-defensive type of player, but he definitely provides a lot of value. Absolutely. Another small note uh, on this game, uh, Simmons had a number of times where Fultz would either get a rebound or get an outlet, and he was running back to go and get the ball, and I'm 97% sure that when Markel Fultz gets the ball, the instruction is he's going to push it and the rest of you guys run the floor. And so I think, especially because he wasn't that involved really in the first quarter, it seemed like he was just his going, like when you go back to get the ball, you just totally take your team out of any kind of fast break uh, rather than running the lane. And Markel Fultz was, was, is if he's going to do anything, it's going to be in transition. So certainly the plan is for Fultz to push it when he gets it. So I don't know if that's Simmons being a little potty or just not listening or forgetting or what but uh you know just the, that dynamic is a little something to watch it and it it's got to be a little frustrating to Simmons that you know I was the point guard they j- drafted this other guy who's like supposed to be a point guard too he's just been baby this entire time he's getting chances that frankly he hasn't earned with his actual play uh and I understand why they they're trying to push it with faults but I just uh, I fear this experiment is going to have to end sooner rather than later uh, I mean they're going to keep at it but the way he's played in the preseason, the way he played tonight, like he just is not going to be helping this team um, unless he significantly improves from what he's been uh, at this point. Um, so, yeah, go ahead. Oh, something yeah. else I wanted to mention. Brad Stevens ran a nine-man yes. rotation, starting five. Marcus Morris, 
Aaron Baines, Marcus Smart, and Terry Rozier. Ojale didn't play until garbage time. Daniel Tice didn't really play until garbage time. He got a few spot minutes, but really he was he was out of the rotation. And Boston's nine man rotation is ridiculous. I mean, those guys are all genuine, un, unambiguous NBA players. You know, like a lot of those guys would start on any on on a lot of other teams. And I just I, I'm always interested in how Brad Stevens is going to manage this team because they have so much talent and. I mean, I'm fine with that being the rotation. It's just a little narrower than I thought it would be. Worth noting also that uh, Mike Muscala out with ankle issue. And remember, he had big-time ankle issues at the start of last year, too. He unexpectedly missed like two months at the start of last year. Uh, But the talk is that he's going to play off the bench at the four. Don't really care for that. I thought Amir Johnson really was pretty rough. He was negative 10 in only 11 minutes tonight. And... It really struggled in pick and roll defense uh, i thought as well uh, and even made some mental mistakes which is uncharacteristic of him i think that maybe having mascala at the five could help open things up especially if false is going to be on the second unit because they got to just get some more shooting uh, on the floor somehow but it sounds like mascala is going to play the four and then Sharit's only playing 22 minutes i mean and at the end of the first half in particular they had Fultz out there instead of Sharit. i mean there's just no way that Markel Fultz being out there gives you a better chance to win than Sharich, uh when you know Sharich can hit a shot and play off the ball and they have these on-ball threats. So uh, again, this is all when Hollinger used to talk about this all the time that when you give, especially if you're trying to win, when you give young players minutes that they don't serve, and we're not talking about just like, all right, the token start, you know, Harrison Barnes Har- for the Warriors in the early days. Like Barnes at least was an effective player. He was someone who at least wasn't going to take stuff off the table for other players. But the way that Fultz plays, if you're going to be bad and you're going to play in a way where you're either clogging up the spacing for others or having the ball in your hands and not being able to do anything with it, um, uh, th- that's probably enough uh, uh, doom saying on that. But it's just it, it's it's really kind of disappointing and depressing. And, and I fear that this is just going to end with the Fultz experiment having to be tabled at least by the playoffs, if not before then. Um, anything else to say on this one? No, not particularly. I mean, there was that nice sequence when Joel Embiid blocked Kyrie Irving, then ran down and got a yeah. dunk the other he, way. He ben looked Simmons like he was able to play harder. passes in this game. Embiid looked to be in better shape. Yes, he looked like he, he was able to play harder. Uh, that, that's a reason for optimism in Philly. And also, we should mention Jason Tatum had a nice game. He was nailing shots early, had a, had a couple of really confident step backs off the dribble and so you know building off of the successful season he had last year and Tatum getting up 17 shots which was the team high there was that question about how it was going to fare with Kyrie and and Gordon Hayward it is worth noting neither one of those guys is 100% right now but Tatum's still getting his yeah and with Philly switching a fair amount he was able to score on Amir Johnson he scored on Embiid uh hit a couple of threes four finishes around the rim and then was able to hit four mid-rangers all basically from you know top of the key about 17 to 20 feet which you know that's a shot that they're going to need to make if if Kyrie is not getting buckets and iso you know they really need Tatum to do that and with the Sixers switching he was able to come through so we'll see I mean Boston has a lot of firepower on this team but you know unless Irving and Gordon Hayward are going at their absolute best you know this isn't going to be the top five offense that we hoped that it could be one thing that should be not only top five, but the number one thing in your morning and night routine is Quip. Quip is a better electric toothbrush designed by dentists and designers. 
It's gentle on sensitive gums, uh, more so than other electric toothbrushes that I've tried. But it still just does a better job of cleaning your teeth than a regular toothbrush. If you haven't tried an electric toothbrush yet, you're really missing out. You probably have sweater teeth. That's what my sister used to call it when you could feel the plaque all over your teeth with your tongue and kind of get grossed out. You don't need a charger. It's basically the size of a regular toothbrush. It runs for three months on just a single AAA battery. It's also got this great cover that's also a holder. You can mount it for your mirror if you're one of our listeners who's uh, crowding into an urban apartment and you need a little more space uh, on your counter. You can just stick that holder to the mirror. Oh, and it also starts at just 25 bucks. So it's less expensive. It's more convenient. It's smaller than other electric toothbrushes. If you go to getquip, G-E-T-Q-U-I-P dot com slash capspace right now, you can get your first refill pack for free with a Quip electric toothbrush. And more importantly, at least from our standpoint, let them know that you came from us with that slash capspace URL. Once again, getquip.com slash capspace to get your first refill pack free and let them know that you came from us. All right, we can talk a little bit about this Golden State OKC game. Not really as sexy because Westbrook didn't play. It didn't have the intensity. Well, and it was also spectacularly sloppy. I mean, yeah. this was it was really one of those games happens early in the season, especially when one team is missing their their starting point guard and linchpin offensively. I think one of the takeaways, and this is something that you talked about a fair portion during the game on Twitter, was this Damian Jones starting against Stephen Adams. I thought the positive, the biggest positive to takeaway is that he played with with energy, with intensity, and you know, so he got a couple of offensive rebounds, got a couple of dunks on the kind of plays that maybe lighter versions of what JaVale McGee would do but the concerns about Jones defensively were all still there I saw a lot of people actually saying that he played really well and I am not in agreement there and maybe for his capabilities he did but I thought he was just a disaster defensively he did have three blocks but as just an in-position rim protector he really doesn't do too well pick and roll defense is a major problem for him pretty much every single time it seems like there's either a mis- miscommunication or he gets beat. I mean, really, the only pick-and-roll coverage he seems to be able to execute is when he really gets up to the level of the ball and puts pressure on the ball and tries to force pass. He does have relatively quick feet, and, and as you mentioned, he plays hard. When OKC got back into it, they trailed by 10 at half. They got back into it in the third quarter with Paul George going nuts with 15 points, and he was hitting some difficult shots, but he was being guarded by KD. And while KD is a pretty decent option on LeBron because LeBron likes to ISO, Paul George liked to come off of screens a lot, and KD is not very good at getting over screens. And then with Damian Jones, the guy who was guarding the screener a lot of times, he just wouldn't communicate well enough. He wouldn't step out, or if he did, he left the roll man wide open when he didn't need to step out. Uh, KD wasn't getting over the screen, so uh, George really was just torching that combination. And Paul George, and even out of pick and roll on the ball, which Paul George is not some unbelievable on-ball pick and roll guy, um, other than a couple of moments late, KD just, it did not augur well for him with his defensive effort this year. I mean, I think he, in many ways, even more than Draymond and Clay and stuff defensively is a, a, kind of a bellwether for this team. And, and we just did not see, I mean, Paul, there was one play where Paul George was in the midst of this awesome quarter and the ball's on the weak side and Paul George takes three steps to come to the strong side to come off the screen before KD even moves. You know, it just was not locked in. It's not play with a ton of effort during the regular season defensively anymore. Um, So, but they did D up down the end. And you mentioned it was sloppy. I mean, you know, this OKC team has no shooting. They have one guy who can 
really, or I guess two, you could say Schroeder and Georgia are the two guys who can do much offensively. So it's understandable that it was going to be sloppy for them. And, and they do have a good defensive team, but you know, for Golden State, I just, it's a little bit of a concern to me that they just don't really seem to have like that many good players again. You know, I mean, it, it, looking at their roster, the guys coming off the bench, uh, Iguodala also uh, only played 10 minutes. He experienced left calf tightness and did not return. So he'll probably miss now a week or two. You never want to mess around with a calf, and that's not the way they wanted to see Iguodala start off. He looked pretty spry. Um, I don't know. I've rambled on enough here. What do you got here? One other thing, just because I like putting a pin in this throughout the year, Curry and Clay Thompson each battled foul trouble at different moments, and that can rear its head in playoff games with this team. Curry picked up two. The second one was totally preventable on Schroeder, so he actually came out before the end of the first quarter. Clay got, I think he got his third somewhere in the second quarter. Not a big deal, but something I wanted to mention. Also, Jordan Bell and Jonas Jerebko both were pretty marginalized in this game. The Warriors actually started the second quarter with Draymond at center, something Steve Kerr said he basically wasn't going to go to. They only did it for like three minutes, but that was the time that it seemed like was going to be Jordan Bell's. And I actually think those minutes would be very good for DeMarcus Cousins when he gets back, just because if the Warriors are going to sit Curry and Durant at the same time, just let Cousins run wild, that would be a, a great time to do it. But, you know, give Bell some of that opportunity. And then Drebko, he didn't play at all until the fourth quarter. And then he kind of got some of the minutes that Iguodala probably would have received had he been able to play. And, you know, other than that, I thought the bench, you know, Livingston was fine. Quinn Cook was fine. Looney had a solid game. I, I thought he did well. I mean, he's plus minus came. I, I, thought, I thought he had more than a solid game. I thought he was really good. Eight, eight off. Of yeah, yeah. I should say he, he was he was good. Yeah, yeah. yeah, he was good. I should, I should. I'm giving him a four off for my every player stuff for the yeah. athletics so that yeah he's that's better than that's eight, better than eight four. offensive rebounds plus 23 10 points for looney in only 18 minutes um and play, played some at the four some at the five um and you know i thought telling that jones despite starting the game with their best players was still negative one i mean he did have 12 points six out of seven and curry got to mention his game 32 points hit his first five three-pointers then missed his last four but still five and nine from three that's excellent nine assists eight rebounds uh, and that 32 points came uh, on only 22 shooting possessions. Uh, Draymond Green was pretty solid on the glass uh, in this one, but his offense has really started to go downhill. He was one out of six with six turnovers and only five assists in this game. He got just completely stuffed at the rim uh, on a dunk attempt, uh, only took one three-point attempt, and it seems like he's not even really like looking to take those three pointers anymore and he's open they are not guarding him a lot and it just there's this team is does not strike me as quite the offensive juggernaut they once were and it's really not because of durant curry and thompson thompson really struggled he's five out of 20 but you know if he makes a few more threes maybe it, it looks better they're only seven out of 26 that's another thing too i mean curry durant thompson combined for 23 of the 26 three-point attempts in this game i'm sorry 22 of the 26 three-point attempts in this game and uh six of the makes of course five of the seven makes from three by curry um so we'll see you know if iguodala is healthy if they really play their best guys but they're thin you know this if there's an iguodala injury they don't have a real replacement for him and they still don't have anyone who can shoot you know queen cook is the only guy there um let's get some more okc observations here dennis Schroeder 
had a distinctly Dennis Schroeder game. Like the the other than he took advantage a couple times of the Warriors just strangely not playing him as a as a bad jump shooter. Like they were just p- pressing up on him, and Dennis Schroeder can get by some guys and and get some finish at the rim. He also had five five free throws made in this game, five of six from the line. But some of his missed threes were just abysmal, which happens with Dennis Schroeder. That is part and parcel yeah, he, of the experience. He airballed one that I think could have cut it to uh, three at one point late. Uh, as as OKC was within five and even within two uh, with about two and a half minutes to go and then just couldn't score down the end. They started Patrick Patterson. He had a couple moments that looked better. He had a uh, made, made three early, then missed two on the same trip down the floor, which I think that actually could have cut it to four or three points in the third quarter. Would have been nice to see him make those. Abrinas played significantly more than Hamadou Diallo. Though I thought Diallo, you know, he looked better than I expected for a, a second-round rookie playing I, I in liked his first his defense. regular season I, I NBA game. He had a couple of nice stops yeah. uh, on Clay Thompson in particular. So he's someone to watch. Although again, you know, he's not even he's not even going to stand at the three-point line, much less take them at this point. And right, yeah. And Stephen Adams is still working his way back. He was actually listed as questionable for this game. He he did play, of course, because he Stephen Adams played 36 minutes and, and did decently. But you can tell that he's still laboring a little bit with his issues. And then I was watching Jeremy Grant shoot in warmups. Another reminder. I mean, I think people know this by now, but he was drilling threes and warmups. And I'm sitting there going, oh, you know, that that's good for good for him. And then, you know, in the game, one for four seemed like a reasonable kind of set of looks. And so. Reminder that guys make a lot more threes when nobody is guarding them than when they're actually playing within the context he, of an NBA game he, and running the floor. Every he possession. did look more confident, at least shooting above the break. He, he did. He was one of four. And I, I really liked what he did defensively, too. He had a couple of really nice plays. I did, too. Where, you know, in guarding those Warriors split cuts, I mean, he's really a four, you know, a guy who can switch. But a lot of times those guys aren't so good off the ball. And so he really made great moves. Like he cut off Steph Curry's. He tried to cut and drew an offensive foul. He drew another offensive foul uh, on KD. He looked very comfortable uh, switching out of the perimeter and guarding off ball uh, on the perimeter. Terrence Ferguson, 0 for 2, a guy who was advertised as a shooter, but he, he missed another wide open three off an offensive rebound late. Yeah. Wait, quick interjection. Two shot attempts in 27 right. yeah. minutes. That's important. Yeah, here. exactly. And. You would hope that he could get a few more shots off. I mean, but like OKC's offense is still not exactly democratic. Like Ferguson is not like touching the ball, <laughs> you know? I mean, it's, if it, Westbrook is out, so fine. Schroeder and George, you know, they combined for uh, 41 shot attempts. They, they did get the ball into the post to Adams a little bit more, but, you know, this is not one of those offenses that really lets the support players touch the ball much unless it's just to finish a, a wide open shot. So, uh, I thought Nerlens Noel actually gave them something uh, as a, a guy off the bench. He played hard in 12 minutes, so a, a decent start to rehabilitating uh, his career. But and I thought OKC actually, you know, in terms of like avoiding mistakes, just playing hard, they played hard enough to win. But, you know, even with the Warriors off from downtown, OKC was just as off, 10 out of 37, and 16 offensive rebounds it weren't quite enough, uh, and 20 Warriors turnovers weren't quite enough either so uh but good effort by okc and uh the warriors i mean man i'm just not looking forward to watching these guys this year at least when curry is in there watchable offensively but even then it's just like there just are not that many guys on this team who who kind of fit in uh and you know they're trying to run all this split cut stuff i mean sometimes you you wonder if they wouldn't just be more effective offensively at least in the regular season with like more of a houston approach um 
because there's just a lot it seems like the works are gummed up a lot and they're just not getting up many three-pointers they don't have any guys who are taking three-pointers at this point but you know we'll see we're not going to know anything about this team until the playoffs and i mean uh the only thing i guess danny the only thing that would worry me is if they run into issues where they can't score with you know steph curry on the floor if they start struggling to score steph curry on the score on the floor or they're not like dominating with him on the floor offensively then i might start to worry about the team in the regular season otherwise they can't really do much in the regular season to to make me worry other than getting hurt right i think that's it's going to be kind of an uninspiring 55 to 65 win season there this is not the same team that one seven one seventy three and nine was just killing people back in i guess that was four was that 14 15 or 50 yeah it was no it was 15 16 i, and I got a question for you that's that's just yeah, not who they're sure would you just, as a basketball fan, would you be rooting for Kevin Durant to leave the Warriors? I would seriously consider it because, well, so the question is kind of, well, A, how would the Warriors replace him? Because they would yeah. probably just be using the middle level. And they'd probably, they get somebody better for the middle level than almost anybody else because that's just an amazing, it's an amazing gig, even if it's a one-year thing, kind of like what happened with DeMarcus Cousins. But I don't think the Warriors team that was there in fifteen sixteen is ever coming back. I don't think that, you know, the offense would probably be more, a little bit more fun at moments, but they also won't fix the lack of shooting on the rest of the yeah. team. Like that's not going to get fixed by Kevin Durant leaving. Right. All of those sorts of problems are still there. So it would definitely be more intellectually interesting. They would be materially worse. And I don't know, there's a part of me that would like to see, depending, like it would, for me, there would be a little bit of disappointment if the Warriors win the title this year. Durant leaves and then we never really yeah. see them get challenged you know like that I like the passing of the torch I like all that you know Michael Jordan beating the Pistons oh yeah all those kind of all those kinds of stories and it would I mean that the Warriors would still be championship contenders if Kevin Durant leaves but depending on where he goes and, and, and all that kind of stuff him. but they're but, not gonna have much resources to replace right. him either which is a problem I mean if they could get no they won't Harrison Barnes back unless they like pull off a <laughs> yeah. sign and trade or something I, I actually you know what I, I actually thought about writing that in a piece yeah, a little while ago because like, I'm working on something yeah I'm working on something about basically like what would happen if Durant leaves it's probably not going to come out for weeks I just have some thoughts to put down on paper on it for now and one of the ideas I had was, oh, it, they could sign and trade him and use that use that trade exception to get Harrison Barnes. And I started laughing uncontrollably. But it is, yeah. So, I mean, it, it is an interesting question. It's something worth considering. You and I talked a little bit about Durant predictions on yesterday's podcast. Or is that on the part that people will hear today? I genuinely can't remember because we recorded uh, it. It was on yesterday's. Okay. And and so I'm, uh, I wonder how all that would turn out. But, I mean... It's true. Like I, I feel like we did miss out on something amazing by not having that fifteen sixteen team run it back in sixteen seventeen, and just being this different kind of behemoth that just kind of now it can go yeah. through the motions. The, they're all too old now. It's, if if it were if you could yeah. just like take him off, and then you could say, "Hey, Andre Iguodala and Steph Curry and Draymond Green are going to be the same guys that they were." It's three yeah, years exactly, ago, right? Like so, they're just. I mean, unless they really yeah. well, and even but but. Not only is it the physical part, but it's also the mental. I mean, they've gone to four straight NBA finals and all of the extra games that come with that. And they know that after, especially after losing in 16, they know that they're not defining their own success by what happens in the regular season. So they're going through the motions anyway. I, I think the age isn't helping, but I think that's just who they would be anyway. Well, maybe if they want to age a little bit better, they should try some Bombas. Thanks to two years of research and development, 
and multiple improvements in design, performance, and comfort, Bombas are the most comfortable socks in the history of feet. They sent me a bunch of them. They're fantastic. Wearing them around the house is really comfortable. They're like just warm enough that your feet don't get cold. You know, some socks just, if it's cold in your house, like wearing socks is enough. You have to wear swiplers, except for these. Uh, And more importantly, though, they have this cushioned footbed that's reinforced for comfort, but it doesn't add a ton of bulk either because I've noticed this, especially if you have shoes that, you know, are maybe a little bit small for you, and then you put on really thick socks like they don't really fit. But they're also not like too tight. When I was working as a lawyer, I would get home and I would just have this like ridiculous sock line on my calves from my dress socks. And Bomba's technology, stay up technology, they even have a a term for it, ensures that your socks stay in place without leaving a, a mark. So if you're a runner, you're a power walker, or a power lounger, there's a pair of Bombas that will add comfort to your life. The way to get started with them, bombas.com slash capspace, and then use the code capspace to get 20% off your first order. That's B-O-M-B-A-S.com slash capspace, and use that capspace code. Easy remember, we talk about capspace all the time here on the program, and let them know with that capspace code that you came from us. All right, we got some news here that's piled up. Before we get to the rest of our predictions pod, I figured we could run the second half of that predictions pod with, it's not going to, thankfully, nothing happened in the first game or the first day of games like last year to just like totally mess well, up those predictions. Other, other, than, other than my most improved player prediction looking a little bit shaky, who other did, than who that. Who did you have on that? It's okay. I, I, not, oh. I didn't say he would deserve it, but I said Markel Fultz would win it. Oh, God. Yeah. I don't think that I don't think that's going to happen. Um, but let, let's get to it. And I think something that it, it can be a, a hard thing to to reconcile with all this, that because the rookie extension debt, rookie scale extension deadline is basically right before the season starts. Sometimes these deals, even though there were only a couple get lost in the shuffle. But I think these the two that we that were new since the last time we recorded are both worth discussing in, in a little bit of detail. The most notable one being Miles Turner. It was originally reported as four years and eighty million, and that is still true with incentives. But the kind of base amount is four years, seventy-two million. And if that structure sounds familiar to you, it's because the two gentlemen you are listening to right now negotiated almost those exact <laughs> terms on the mock rookie extension d- deadline podcast. This might be our best hit. I mean, because that's crazy to get four for seventy-two, and then we had incentives that pushed it to four to eighty. Uh, like that's like I don't know if it's coincidence or not. I mean, I thought that was a fair deal, obviously. I actually, I was the agent in that scenario. I probably wouldn't have paid that amount as the Pacers just because of the cap space implications. They're costing themselves because it's going to start with $18 million or so flat per season. They're costing themselves a little bit over $7 million in cap space for next summer versus what his capital would have been. Uh, my thought was, is there really, like, this deal wasn't there to be made if you're Indiana next summer and... Maybe if he blows up this year, you have to pay him more, but you feel okay about doing that if he does blow up. And I just think the chances of any center blowing up that much and then getting some massive offer sheet, and it's just, you know, the center market is just not, like, that great. There just aren't as many positions for bigs, for centers. There's a lot of competition, and there's a, a glut of centers on the market, so you can get a lot of production for cheap. So unless a guy really, really stands out, you feel like maybe you shouldn't pay him. I mean, this is kind of Clint Capella money, and I think Capella is clearly going to be a superior player uh, to Turner. Uh, And, yeah, go ahead. Well, and Turner is a great example of 
something that I like to describe as the difference between could be, will be, and is. Like, there is this potential for Turner to be a two-way center who can stretch the floor and protect the rim yeah. and be a solid defensive I mean, player. For bigs? He, it, it, it could be. Yeah. It's definitely not is. Yeah. And it and and so I think that's that's one of the important distinctions to make with him is that this potential is there, but and that's why I had him really high in the draft. I had him over Porzingis and all that other stuff. But the problem is I don't see all of it there with him. And I agree with you on the timing issue here because what Indiana had, they had a they had a couple of big benefits here. One, just waiting a year and finding out what Miles Turner does over the course of that year. But restricted free agency is such a gargantuan advantage, especially with centers, because if he's good enough, you'll probably scare somebody off because teams aren't going to tie up their space to make a big offer sheet to someone that they they're confident the other team is going to match. Like, yeah, there's a possibility Dallas or Atlanta or somebody would have thrown him a big offer. Certainly a possibility, but. I mean, if they assumed Indiana was going to match it, they're not going to waste their time with that. Nobody did it with Clint Capella. It was, there were fewer teams that had cash. But then the other part of it is if he's, you know, if he ends up being a little bit worse than that, you don't have this big financial commitment. Yes, the Pacers still do have a lot of money. I mean, Bobby Marks has a projected about $47 million, but they have a lot of spots to fill. And they could have, if Miles Turner got overpaid, they could have gotten another center for the middle level exception or something that wouldn't wouldn't have been as good, but the drop off wouldn't have been as severe. They could have used that money somewhere else. And the Pacers don't have that much wiggle room to really build this core around Victor Oladipo. So now they have to nail these other moves. This seems more like a we're happy with where we are than a big swing. And while teams are allowed to do that, it's always a little bit disheartening. I think the most likely outcome for Turner is kind of solid starting center. You know, I don't see him necessarily getting into the top 10. Just because of his defensive limitations, it's just really hard to be. And yeah, he blocks a lot of shots. It looks good, but just, you know, he hasn't made the strides as a pick and roll defender. And there are some bigs who kind of get there eventually, but he just doesn't really seem to have like the knack for moving his feet to get into the right position particularly well. And, you know, we've seen some guys like Andre Drummond is kind of in that same category where, you know, he's made incremental improvements over his career to where I think he's gotten to be you know, a decent, a solid defensive center. And, and maybe Turner can get there, but I don't see him being elite just due to relatively slow feet for today's NBA and the, the lack of feel. And then offensively, you know, I don't see him being much more than a guy who's just going to bomb it from three. And so, you know, I, I could see if he can be a threat there to be sure, but I don't see him being just this elite type of player. He's probably always going to be switchable. I don't see him just being like someone who's going to kill you on post-ups so he's been working on that so and just it kind of seems like a relatively inconsistent player as well because he's relying on the jump shot he'll get a lot of blocks one game but then if he doesn't get blocks he's not as valuable defensively so you know i think your most likely outcome is he's a decent starting center and you're overpaying for that probably and and he doesn't have superstar upside of like oh hey let's lock him up right now so maybe just you know the argument in indiana is hey we don't get free agents well i mean you got Tyreek Evans this year, and it won't be as tight of a market next year, but you got Tyreek Evans for uh, $12 million this year. You know, having an extra $8 million, that could get you another starter uh, next season. And even so, you know, maybe you have to pay Turner another couple of million per season than you might have if he plays well and you get into restricted free agency with him. But I still would have rather had the space. Um, this still isn't as good, though, as rajon rondo to the bulls for basically like the exact amount that he did in the 2016 mock-off season but this this might be our second second best ever uh 
prediction out of these mock podcasts. The other extension, and I actually wrote about this in depth for The Athletic. I did all four, but I thought this was the most interesting one, or the one where my analysis mattered the most, because Larry Nance getting four years and $45 million right now is just a mistake. I mean, Nance is exactly the type of player that you don't extend unless he gives you a significant discount, because you're not really sure what he is and yeah. what he brings to a to a good team, much less a team like the Cavs, where we have no idea how good they are. Like this, they they could end up being a thirty win team this year. They could maybe they're a forty win team, and yeah, as as Kevin Pelton noted to me privately, it's not that Cleveland is necessarily going to pay Larry Nance and Kevin Love a combined hundred and sixty five million over the not the next four years, but the four years starting after this one. But they have now committed to paying those players that money, and that's a big problem when. At some point, Cleveland's probably going to need to pivot, and it looked like they were going to clean out their books pretty pretty much over the next two years, and now they have these big obligations that while they can still do moves, they can still sign players, it's cumbersome, and neither one of these players is worth the contracts they gave them. Yeah, it is slightly more palatable, assuming they weren't planning to use cap space next offseason, which was probably unrealistic. They did the maximum declines, as we've been saying that they should teams should do for a long time. It, it was kind of pioneered in the real world by uh, the Aaron Gordon deal. Um, and with the 8% declines, you can get down. So he goes from $12.7 million the first year down to $9.6 million. Uh, his capital would have been $6.9 million. So they, they cost themselves $6 million in room. But again, I, I don't think they really had mu- enough space. You know, they could have been in like the mid-teens maybe. But n- not enough to really matter, I don't think. And they're not uh, presumably going to be like, oh, yeah, we need to sign someone. We're one player away here this offseason, which actually I think Indiana maybe could be to, from getting it to getting into real contention in the East. Uh, so that that's kind of the difference between the Cleveland situation and the Indiana situation to me. But Nance, he isn't a starter right now. You mentioned he turns 26 this season. I saw a noticeable decline in athleticism from him last year, though that might have been the hamstring injury. But this is the age at which your raw athleticism starts to decline. He's developed an okay mid-ranger. But, you know, I don't see him ever being a quality option from three. So he's not really, you know, big and enough of a rim protector to be a traditional five. He doesn't really switch well enough to be a switch five. So he's not a starter. And you don't pay starters, uh, non-starters, $10 million a year, you know, unless they're just like really elite, you know, Eric Gordon type of players. And Nance isn't that, you know, I don't think he's a quality starting center. And, and now you've got, you know, for the next, as you mentioned, five years here, a ton of money lined up in a front court that you know is pretty old and a team that's probably gonna win 30 games this year um also worth yeah go ahead, yeah sorry. the year the years are really bur- the years are really burdensome here i mean just getting him for yeah. four for four more after this year it's just it's just so long for for a player who you know he could have skill development but as the athleticism declines i mean that age curve is going to be concerning and who just isn't good enough right now to, to deserve this contract so you're projecting improvement for a guy who turns 26 and is two to 26 on new year's day and is two months younger than cody zeller like are we sitting there going oh my god cody zeller has all this untapped potential and while you know years in the nba and years in life are not exactly the same thing he played all those years in college and it's not like that was you know i think that sometimes because the the bias of like oh this when the guy came into the league but i mean i don't think he has that much that much more room to grow yeah and he also has a pretty extensive injury history uh, both uh before the nba and uh while he's been in the league um 
other Cavs news Kevin Love is going to be limited in terms of his minutes because of this left foot soreness he's been dealing with since early October and Nance is actually questionable with the right ankle injury uh, for the season opener against uh, the Raptors other news in Brooklyn a lot of walking wounded there Shaz Napier will not play with that hamstring that kept him out all of camp Alan Crabb suffered a pretty ugly looking sprained left ankle he's out uh seems like he doesn't really have a timetable but he's not going to play against the Pistons on Wednesday Damari Carroll had to have surgery on his right ankle no timetable given there but you know anytime you have surgery it's probably two months uh, at a minimum and Rondé Hollis Jefferson he's questionable with that adductor injury he suffered way back in August uh, when he was working out so uh we said that the Nets had a lot of depth but four of their perimeter players looks like they're are not going to be ready and Carroll is someone they were really counting on uh Jared Dudley's going to play a lot we might see some of Rodian's Kuriks who has uh played well in the preseason for the Nets uh what else we got here well we had two trades not exactly barn burners but still trades uh the first one was a, a cap move Washington traded Jody Meeks, who is still suspended and actually will stay in Milwaukee on the suspended list to the Bucks. They attached a second round pick, which is their 2020 pick if it is in the bottom 15 of the second round. Otherwise, it doesn't convey. And if it doesn't convey, then it is their 2022 second round pick. And they also sent $1.5 million in cash. It saved Washington significant money with tax. I think the number I saw was around $7 million, but yes. it is worth noting that that will be reduced significantly by them signing somebody else. And this is not an if statement. It is a when statement because now they're at 13 and you can only be there for the first for two weeks at a time. So they'll have to sign somebody at some point. We don't know who that's going to be with what minimum they're going to make, though. It'll be a minimum somewhere. And so it's I, I think it's a very good piece of business for for Milwaukee. They used the soon to expire Greg Monroe trade exception. They got a second round pick basically for their trouble they're probably not going to butt up against the luxury tax anyway so i like it for them washington it's okay the second round pick they gave up is better than i expected it to be so it's not terrible but i also don't love it for them did you say the protection on that pick in 2020 yes i did uh this is a trade very analogous to the quincy pondexter trade to the bulls last year from the pelicans which happened i think in august guy making about three million bucks 1.5 million in cash thing was 1.4 in that pondexter trade and then a, a second rounder as well to to grease the skids and interestingly enough the bucks the way they're able to do this is because they had a trade exception from the greg monroe eric bledsoe trade they actually sent out more money in that trade than they took back so they got the trade exception which would have been due to expire in about a month but that trade exception, when I first looked at it, I was like, oh, wait, this can't fit in. It's uh, $3.37 million. It makes, makes 3.4. But, oh, yeah, wait a minute. It's the amount of the trade exception plus 100000 is the actual amount of salary that you can take in. And so they just barely made it in. Uh, and that's how we knew it. So Chris Haynes, uh, it was kind of funny. He reported, oh, the, the Bucks will be getting a player from Washington. And it was basically like, the only guy it could be was Meeks, <laughs> you know? So, like, we we kind of predicted who it was going to be as soon as Haynes said that. Uh, and then, of course, uh, it came out. Uh, another trade, one uh, which I think makes a lot of sense as well. And the reason these trades happen right before the season starts is because you still have the extra off-season roster slots. you got to get down to 15 players plus the two two-ways 
uh, by the day before the season. I think the deadline was like 6 Eastern yesterday. So that's why these trades happened. They were up against the deadline. And the Clippers were another one. Wes Johnson, uh, who is not in their plans. They have a ton of combo forwards there. He signed uh, an ill-fated full mid-level exception deal on a 2 plus 1, which uh, he basically probably uh, should have opted it to the exact moment that he signed it. Um, in the summer of 2016, then Doc Rivers basically stopped playing completely. I actually thought maybe he could contribute a little bit for them, but they, they had so much depth at that position last year, they didn't need him. But he actually might play a little bit uh, for New Orleans. And then Ajinsa, he actually uh, makes less uh, than Johnson. He will be waived, but he gets the clips a little bit more breathing room under the tax. And remember, they will be paying the tax under no circumstances this year. Number one, because they're not a contender. And number two, because they'll be in the repeater tax and they want to get out of it by being out of the tax for two two uh seasons in a row and then they also waived Jawan evans this is one that we've seen coming for a while he was not effective last year had a really rough summer league and we wondered hey what the hell are they doing when they're matching an offer sheet on ty wallace ironically enough from the pelicans uh who then made this deal to help them keep ty wallace uh in this trade um so ty wallace will make the team that's uh, good to see and because I thought he was definitely better than a lot of these other guys that they had, including uh, Johnson and Evans. So the Clips, I think they got the right 15 guys uh, on the roster now and, and good work to get there while also reducing the tax bill at the same time. And, and good job for the Pelicans to get a guy who might actually play for them a little bit. We'll see what kind of shape Johnson is in after, uh, you know, basically a year on ice. Yeah, I think this is a good piece of business for both teams. The Pelicans paid a little bit of extra money for a guy who has a chance of helping them and they gave away a guy who had no chance of helping them. And for the Clippers, I want to give Lawrence Frank credit. They had this roster crunch, and my expectation was that they would not cut, in my opinion, the right three guys or let let them go in various forms. And those were Sam Decker, Jawan Evans, and Wes Johnson, partially because those some of those guys had equity. You know, like Wes Johnson was being paid a lot. Sam Decker they acquired in the Chris Paul trade, and they got rid of the right three guys. So I, I'm really happy that they that they made the right move there and got to the right piece. Jawan Evans wasn't inspiring and also was basically replaced because they got superior players at the same position, young players. So they can, they don't even have to worry about the upside issue. So we'll see what happens with him. I mean, he'll have an opportunity presumably to play overseas or in the G league. Should he prefer that? And we can move on to the unusual moves made by the Phoenix suns. So the suns cut Darrell Arthur, who they had previously applied for a disabled player exception, which was super weird. We talked about that in previous episode it looks like that goes away because I believe the, ap- the application has to be granted before you cut the guy. And they also cut Shaq Harrison, who I expected to be their starting opening night point guard, which was dumbfounding. They also cut Devon Reed, who I thought looked good in summer league. And they had to clear those spots because of a couple of the moves they made in the offseason. And they had to clear an extra spot because they signed Jamal Crawford. Yeah, now I guess they could kind of use Crawford. Uh <laughs> hilariously Crawford was like yeah you know I'm really waiting for the right situation and as Feldman noted on Twitter when the right situation didn't emerge he just signed in the wrong situation (laughs) in Phoenix but hey might as well play although you know we'll see whether he's happier in Phoenix than he would have been had he just opted into that player option which would have paid him uh, close to five million bucks in Minnesota instead of the 2.4 vet minimum uh, that he's going to get in Phoenix we had speculated it might be the room exception but apparently they held out for uh, just uh, the vet minimum instead uh reed is interesting i think he's shown a little bit you know in terms of the ability to hit shots they do have a crunch uh, on the wing now obviously with all the guys they have there if anybody wants to claim it i mean it was the number 32 pick just last year 
he was was guaranteed fully for this year non-guaranteed next year and then non-guaranteed team option the year after that but that means that you have to have cap space to sign him yeah, or an or, exception or an exception because yeah. you can use the trade, yeah, yeah, or a trade incidentally yeah. i think yeah, but or, you can't use i think yeah, orlando i think orlando could claim both of these guys i think shaq harrison makes more sense because they need a point guard in the worst way but i mean would i rather have devon reed than jarell martin yes and they still have the alfred payton trade exception which can be broken up into pieces on waiver claims if they want yeah harrison uh another guy who again you know his contract was too long uh, to just be claimed by anyone with the minimum exception because it was a, a three-year deal. Chicago, certainly, I think, could be interested in Harrison, especially because they have nobody who could play any defense uh, on the, the second unit. You know, I, I think he, he could probably be an upgrade on campaign. I mean, we saw him in the preseason. He's still, you know, is not really an NBA type of offensive player, but he plays really good defense and he plays really hard and he's a good culture guy. So I, I would consider going after both of those guys if I were some, you know, teams that are just – trying to get some developmental guys in there. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I guess, what does this mean? Well, probably we're going to see a lot more Devin Booker at point guard. And maybe the thought was that since this would augur that Booker is going to play in the first game and be healthy, maybe they felt like with Booker healthy as well, and then they're going to sign Crawford. You know, they didn't need Harrison anymore. And they just drafted Elliot Kobo. Uh, but, you know, Harrison actually started over a Kobo even in summer league, uh, amazingly enough. They also got DeAnthony Melton as well uh they, and they also kept uh isaiah cannon who provides a much needed shooting you know is an okay fit next to booker at least offensively if they're just going to put the ball in booker's hands but uh, all this seems to show that they're going to be putting the ball in booker's hands a lot uh james harden style and it just it, it's hard to play harrison you know i don't think he's close to an nba quality starter so it's not that much of a travesty it's just kind of weird and, and remember to read previous administration ryan mcdonough that's who drafted him. And so now that McDonough is out, it's easier to kind of get rid of some of those sunk costs where, you know, if McDonough were still there, I'm guessing Reed probably wouldn't have gotten cut. What we got next here? Yeah. Kristaps Porzingis did not agree to an extension. And one of those weird things that front office types sometimes say about basically like that Scott Perry said, you have to ask Porzingis if he's happy or unhappy about that. And I don't know. It, the, uh, how about you just I understand never that use that phrase ever? in an interview you know i mean like it, it you could just say something like oh you know i, I i'm not sure how he feels uh, about it or find some other way to obfuscate because it just sounds like so confrontational like oh what well, you're gonna have to ask him about that it's like okay now you're just ensuring that they're gonna go ask him about it you know like he's not gonna appreciate that uh so uh, but uh, there obviously are cap reasons uh for them not wanting to extend him uh right away here yeah, I mean, they, they need to keep as much space as possible, and they're even more kind of tied in now with stretching Noah that they, they kind of have an understanding of how much space they're going to have. And then well, the well, last quickly piece here, of, just, just to of, reiterate that, Porzingis is cap hold $17.1 million next offseason, uh, and if he got a max extension, which you know he wants, that would start at $27 million next off season so that would cost them 10 million in room and they're basically right on the borderline right now being able to fit in depending on where the cap falls the 10 plus year max which would start at uh 38 million next year they're still actually a little short of that they'd have other moves to do but if they extend porzingis at the max now they're really gonna have trouble fitting in uh one kevin durant uh if uh that's uh the road that he decides to go so it really was never gonna happen 
with Porzingis most likely unless he took a significant discount off of, of that max and I'm sure he wasn't willing to do that so maybe there's a little bit of a wink wink here of hey we'll take care of you but hey you know let's uh he's having a pretty slow recovery from that ACL so there's also probably a component of let's let's see how you look at uh down the end of this year and, and Zach Lowe actually predicted his his column today that Porzingis is going to play like less than 20 games at the end of the year and, and I am uh that sounds about right to me <laughs> uh yeah, I incorporated something similar to that. I think I said the Knicks would win 26 or 27. That was kind of oh, the idea yeah. that Porzingis was more of a, a perfunctory appearance this year than a, a more vigorous and lengthy approach. But the last piece of news, uh, it's just sad news that Paul Allen, the owner of the Portland Trailblazers since 1988, massive in the Pacific Northwest sports community. He also owns the Seattle Seahawks and the Timbers. Or no, it's the Sounders. Sorry, not the Timbers. And I mean, big in the, of course, in tech world as a co-founder of Microsoft and his connections with music are also fascinating for those who are interested. He passed away. And this is, I mean, obviously the human loss and his importance to sports is there. And I think the the biggest testament that I I can say to him as, as an owner is that in our analysis and my own, I never treated Portland as a smaller market team. And the reason why I didn't in terms of spending in the lecture tax and all that was because of Paul Allen, because he consistently was willing to put money out there for for the Portland Trailblazers. And that really yielded some returns. He was also integral in getting the what was then the Rose Garden, now the Moda Center built. And it's a massive loss. Yeah, we the fate of uh, his sports holding is uh, unclear. I mean, this just happened yesterday, obviously, at only the age of 65. For me, he died of a non-Hodgkin's lymphoma, which he had, it seemed like he had beaten uh, back in 2009. He had announced two weeks ago that the cancer had returned, but expressed optimism in a statement. And uh, so this really kind of came out of nowhere. Uh, so certainly uh, the Blazers organization is in mourning. And I second your notion that he was uh, a pretty good owner uh, all things considered and uh, presided over a number building a number of iterations of the Blazers team and you think about it it, he was the owner when they built that team that went to the finals in 1990 and 1992 then they had to break down after that but by 1999 2000 they're back in the west finals again with a totally new team they never really had like the one superstar on the team they had good players you know top 10 type of players maybe but not top five type of players uh then they rebuilt uh again around those brandon roy teams uh then roy and odin got injured they had to rebuild again uh around uh, lamarcus aldridge Dame lillard aldridge left they were able to stay relevant uh, again as well so uh, overall i think he's brought a pretty successful run uh to uh, the pacific northwest uh, and definitely someone who's uh going to be missed uh, all right, we, we got to get to these uh, predictions, but we want to do an ad for ourselves here with uh, our Patreon. This episode is one of those ones we're doing late at night, so it won't be available until tomorrow morning ad-free. But that's what we're trying to do every episode ad-free by at least the early the following morning. Uh, Liam, as our director uh, of Insight and Foresight, will be taking care of that. And we're hoping to get some more subscriptions So uh, and keep this uh, as a feature, kind of just Try it out for a couple of weeks, see how it goes, see whether uh, you know it's worth paying Liam to, to do that. So uh, I encourage you to sign up at patreon.com slash Dunkin' and uh, also Twitter NBA show tomorrow. We will be 
probably doing the end of memphis or i'm sorry not memphis new orleans and houston and then we're gonna do the whole game of dallas and phoenix we want to see how ayton see how Doncic, so all those young guys look it's a lot more fun to watch these young teams early in the season too when they're they're not tanking and they they're uh all full of promise at least the players are and get a chance to see those rookies uh, evaluate them in nba action for the first time it should be a lot of fun so follow me on periscope at nate duncan nba or just look for my tweets and uh now let's do some predictions well, let's continue on with some of our predictions now with those first couple of games in the books we're actually recording this uh on monday so hopefully nothing happened in those those two games uh, that's going to completely invalidate our predictions. Uh, if you want to hear the first half of that, uh, go back and listen to yesterday's episodes if you haven't yet. But let's move to uh, Defensive Player of the Year here, Danny. Who will? And again, to remind you, we are generally picking, unless stated otherwise, who we believe des- will deserve the award and who our picks will be, not necessarily whom our benighted colleagues in the media will vote for. I'll start with this. If I was 100% confident that Kawhi was healthy, I would have him number one. But I factor in the injury risk a little bit, and I pushed him down to third. I still think center is the most important defensive position. And so my one and two are Gobert and Embiid. I could see it going in either order. I think Gobert was better last year. I thought he was the deserving defensive player of the year. Embiid probably has more room to grow. But I think Utah's defense is more built around Gobert's strengths, whereas Philly's can do so much like because they have all those tall like sized guys i i'm gonna give the the edge and it is a very faint edge to go bear to deserve repeating yeah i think this is one that like it was last year could be determined by health uh you know it seemed like Embiid had the edge and then when he missed all those games at the end of the year go bear you know, i think he only played 56 last year but obviously it was awesome when he did rudy go would be my number one pick uh, as well i think he's the best regular season defender in the nba i think he's a better defender than Joel Embiid is uh and then uh, my number three pick would probably be Kawhi Leonard uh I think that Draymond Green this news with his knee injury is already on a minutes limit uh I don't think Golden State overall is just going to defend very well in the regular season I think they're not going to try so I think it's gonna be tough for for him he I would probably be my number four though again if you wanted me to pick one defensive player that I would most want to have in a playoff series Draymond would probably be that guy still uh I yeah we haven't seen enough from Kawhi I feel like Kawhi would be that guy for me eventually but we haven't seen enough of it yet Uh, one dark horse I want to mention is Anthony Davis I think this could be the year that he really really breaks out and getting to play more at center with mostly with Miritich I kind of see Randall as the center when those two play together but that will open up more opportunities for him to really dominate even though I like him in a lot of different facets I think he's just a better defender at center and he could he could absolutely win the award this year yeah another dark horse i would say in terms of actually deserving it would be Giannis. uh and it lost in so much of the carping about the bucks in past years that they actually defended adequately when he was on the floor so uh, if they can boost the, their performance even more under uh coach bud then you could see that happening and then he wouldn't be on my list for deserving it i don't think but someone who could be on the list of the voters by the end of the year would be clint capella uh, if uh, you know he got a lot more shine in the playoffs last year, if Houston continues to defend well, maybe he will actually end up on my ballot too. If if they really can defend well, I think they're going to take a step back defensively this year, though. Um, 
this one is always really difficult uh, actually i shouldn't say that because i have a pretty obvious guy that that i think i'm going to pick uh six man of the year lou williams is my my pick uh pretty obviously here Williams is my favorite to win this award for a long time. Also, partially because we don't know exactly who's starting in Houston. So Eric Gordon, if he starts enough games, he might not be eligible, though that also could help yeah. his case if he ends up starting games, playing a lot of minutes. And, and, doing and I think I think the rest Mello, of my ballot is interesting. Mello, even if EG comes off the bench, I think Mello could hurt his candidacy. as well. I think he's just not going to get as many That's shots true. this year. Yeah. And so my my last three on the list, I, I put caveats if, if eligible with two of them, but I expect them to be eligible. Number three for me is Jabari Parker. The basic rubric is so, so lots you, of points so coming off the bench. you think actually deserve it, or are you talking about who the, the real life? Oh, I guess that's more in terms of uh, more yeah. in terms of voting. Yeah, I mean, so uh, that's true. I was thinking about it more in terms of winning because deserving it in this award is really weird. Yeah. But yeah, Lou Williams and Eric Gordon, I guess, would be my one and two either way. So yeah, I'll, I'll, so I'll go through my will win because that's how mm-hmm. I did it. I just didn't really think about that nuance for this award. That would be Jabari. Dwayne Wade, who actually, I I might have Dwayne Wade number three in terms of deserves, because he's just such a huge part of their second unit Mm. offense, closes games, does a lot of that kind of stuff. And then my number five in in the the will category, and yeah, I'm cool with him being there for deserves, is Terry Rozier. Just if he can, if the Celtics offense can actually stay above board when Kyrie Irving sits, that's going to be huge, and Rozier would be a massive part of that, and I, I love the way he rebounds and competes and does a lot of the other things which we don't expect point guards to do i'll let me give a couple answers and then i'll think about who uh, who else would be in my deserves conversation yeah so uh lou williams number one uh, tyreek evans number two i got a dark horse for you at number three and part of this is because i think he's just a lot better than some of the other guys he might be playing over uh and that's josh hart uh, with the lakers if he comes off the bench he may actually start uh then kcp might be able to get into this category as well though he's been struggling with uh some nagging injuries in camp um but that yeah that's kind of my dark horse at number three some others i mean there's a lot of guys here who i mean lou williams seems the most obvious just because he's like the primary scorer uh you know he's the only one of these guys who's really the best offensive player on his team but and it's coming off the bench and uh you know while a lot of people were like hey last year what he did at his age was unsustainable really on a, a, a per play basis he wasn't really that much better than he had been in the past uh, so I think he'll take a little bit of a step back, but he was so far above everyone else last year. It's hard for me to say that he's going to be lower this year unless unless he gets hurt. And then and they also still really need him too. Is really the one guy on that team who can get to the basket. So Terry Kevin's number two, uh, but you could easily see him taking a little bit of a step back. But he's going to have a huge role in Indiana. Hart I mentioned uh, Terry Rozier. I think is you know one of the most overrated players in the NBA right now. Uh, you know even if you go back and look at his stats in the playoffs last year, true shooting was still below average. True shooting was well below average in the regular season. You know, I think he's at best a lower end starting point guard if if he gets moved. Although a guy who, in fairness, does fit well next to another creator due to his shooting and defense. But if you're talking about him as like being some big star, uh, you know, I, I think he he would be higher on my list of people who will win it because I think he has that juice behind him now for from the media. Uh, a name we haven't mentioned at all is Julius Randall. I think he could could be a uh, a really good candidate here. JJ Redick will be coming off the bench this year, at least to start, it seems like. Uh, and especially if he gets to start the second half, then he's really gonna gonna play a lot of minutes. Uh Fred Van Vliet obviously figured very highly in this last year. Should be should again. Uh looks like OG Ananobi might not even start for Toronto. That's another candidate. Uh Andre Guadala still might be the one player in the league who comes off the bench that I'd most want to have in a playoff series, but he's not going to play enough minutes. He's not going to play hard enough in the regular season. 
Um, and then Gordon, you mentioned he's way down my list, and also there's the possibility that he might uh, be starting. Tyreek is a great call. I just completely didn't think about him. He would be probably second on my list just because he'll get opportunities. I think he'll close games yeah. too, which is another easy way to to get high yeah, on this that, list. That'll be interesting. I still really like Wade's in Indiana, candidacy, whether he closes games or not. Uh, you know, because they still are they going to go without a point guard? Are they going to play him at the three? Uh, and then maybe you know he's he's a a good shooter, but he's not really like a spot up guy. Doesn't really think that way. So yeah, it'll be very interesting to see like what his role ends up being at the end of games there. Okay, so for deserves, I'm going to go Lou Williams, Eric Gordon, Tyreek, Dwayne Wade, and Julius Randle. Yeah, I, I, I'll pass on Wade, I'm afraid. Uh, he uh, is just going to be too inefficient. He's a, another year in the books now. And, you know, again, I could see him taking shots at the hands of more efficient players. This has been a, a problem in Miami even a couple of years ago when he was better. So uh, a couple of other guys to watch on the, like, real life. Uh, I think Carmelo Anthony maybe could score pretty well off the bench and he'll get so much credit for sacrificing that he'll be in people's minds uh dennis schroeder is another one too uh you mentioned jabari parker as well and uh it appears that i even wrote terry rozier twice here in the list of players who uh is going to get a, a lot of shine from the media on this one um we ready to do uh rookie of the year here yeah let's do it so whether we're talking about deserves or will win for me. The top two are the same, and that's Luca and DeAndre Ayton. I think those are both guys that are put in position to succeed. They will get a lot of opportunity. I will go with for deserves the player that I think is the superior player, which is Luka Doncic, and he will have a nice role. I think Carlisle, I've been encouraged by what I've seen from Dallas in the preseason that they'll use him well. Ayton... I think we'll put up better counting stats. And generally speaking, that's a good predictor of who's going to win rookie of the year. But I think Luca will be the better player and thus will deserve it. But Aiton will, I think he'll do well. Like he's, it's so strange. You've talked about this before about how it seems like he disappears at moments. And then you see, oh, bang, 18 and eight or something like that. He has that kind of, kind of game. Phoenix is going to give him a lot of opportunity. And then for rookie of the year after that deserves gets really hard because a lot of guys are negative players. Like I could see Trey Young putting up stats, but being an overall negative player. So I'm going to go with my third for deserves being Jaron Jackson Jr. I think that he puts things on the table and doesn't take as much off, which is something that I really like for a rookie. You know, as a, as an older player, you know, like as the guys get more established, you hope that that balance changes a little bit. But I like that for for a rookie. I was very surprised that you didn't mention this guy. I agree with you, Luka Doncic, both will get it and deserve it. But my number two for deserving it is Wendell Carter Jr. He's going to start for the Bulls, it looks like. and Yeah, that's true. I wrote this before. I, I did this before I found out he was going to start. Yeah, I'll put him over Jaron Jackson for third. Yeah, I actually, in terms of actually contributing to winning basketball, I think he'll be better than Aiton this year. I like his defensive instincts. Uh, you know, his, his shooting adds an element he's not going to need to post up except to, against switches like his fit with marketing i think he's just going to be like a decent center and i mean you remember how bad most rookies are like if he can just play at like an adequate starting center level i mean that's you know in terms of helping your team win games that's probably number two for deserving rookie of the year i do generally do a tiebreaker component to who i think the best prospect is there um Aiton would be number three to me. You know, as you mentioned, he's going to get a lot of points and rebounds. And uh, like you, I would have him number two if we're talking about who's going to actually get it from our media colleagues. Uh, 
Trey Young is an interesting one. You know, I think we both have said, hey, he's going to really suck this year. Preseason, his stats weren't bad. Uh, you know, 51% true shooting is not terrible. He had a, a lot of assists. I mean, it's not great, but it's better than, you know, any of Lonzo Ball, Dennis Smith, and De'Aaron Fox managed last year. Those guys were all, all three of them were well below 50% true shooting. So, you know, and he shot 37% for three. If, if Trey Young shoots 37% from three this year, he's going to be a really uh, better player than people think uh, because he's going to take a ton of attempts. So if he actually makes 37%, he's going to be pretty valuable. Uh, certainly he's going to have a lot of turnovers. The defense is going to suck. Uh, and then Marvin Bagley just deserves a mention here because he's going to get plenty of opportunities to put up stats a bunch of the way that Aiton will. Um, yeah. Oh, somebody else I want to mention along those lines, Harry Giles, hashtag not a rookie. But that's he he might end up putting up numbers yeah, too. I'm I'm not a believer in Giles uh, so far. I'm not a believer in him, but I'm not a believer in Bagley either. So yeah, no, that, that that's true. Uh, sophomore of the year. This is tough because you said that we can't talk about. Well, no, no, no. no. Well, so so, so first, just... I want to do just overall sophomore of the year, and then do another. Sorry if I wasn't clear about that. Uh, so I mean. It, a second yeah, category. Yeah, second category that doesn't include Simmons, Mitchell, or Tatum. I assume sophomore of the year for you is going to be one of those three guys. Yeah, and it's those th- it's those three guys at the top. And I'm going to go Simmons over Mitchell because I just think there's more there's room for him to grow. You know, defensively, I think he provides meaningfully more value than Mitchell. Even though Mitchell has that, I mean, going back even to Utah Summer League last year when Mitchell really put some clamps on Jason Tatum, which was really fun. Mitchell can get better offensively, but I thought Simmons was better last year. So I'm going to go that direction. And Tatum, you know, there are a couple reasons to think that I don't think he's going to necessarily like regress, like have a worse year, but that he might not improve by as much as those guys. One is that he was put in an amazing situation at the beginning, and now there are going to be guys siphoning away his usage, but also because he had that ridiculous spurt where he was making every single shot and that might not be sustainable. I don't think that it is. So I think that he'll be, He'll be more a more modest improvement than the other two guys. So I'll go Simmons, Mitchell, Tatum. Yeah, actually, you probably haven't listened to the the pod yet uh, that I did with Jared, but we have a bet on whether Tatum will shoot over forty percent from three or not. And uh, I I said that he wouldn't, and we have a a Momofuku uh, summer league dinner on it. So uh, I really hope I win. <laughs> uh, so I, I would say Donovan Mitchell uh, out of that group to me. He's has the clearest role as the guy who's going to have the ball in his hands every single time. Tatum may improve it. I think he could improve, but we just wouldn't know it because he's just not going to have quite as much of a chance to show it. I also think his defense is a little bit overrated at this point in time. He's not a bad defender and he was very good for a rookie last year, but I think people are kind of going a little bit too far with that at this point. You know, I I like Mitchell probably better as a defender than Tatum. Uh, and, And then Simmons, it's just, we talked about this before. I just, find it hard to see like what the improvements in his game are going to be that could make a huge difference. Whereas Mitchell, I think, you know, if he improves his shooting off the bounce, you know, that could just be uh, massive. Uh, So what about uh, sophomore of the year, non Simmons, Mitchell Tatum division? I'll walk briefly through my thought process here. I think that the bigs, like let's say Jared Allen are too low usage to be just to provide, even if if we're talking about providing value. Yeah. Yeah. Going into that. And then, there were a couple of point guards, Dennis Smith and De'Aaron Fox, that I really like that I just don't think they'll put the total package together yet. I mean, Smith was one of the most damaging players in the league last year. I think he'll be meaningfully better. But to be the fourth best sophomore would be a lot to ask. De'Aaron Fox, I've been really I was really encouraged by what he did, especially in that game against the Lakers. I think that was in 
San Diego or something like that. But I'm going to, and I think John Collins will put up the best counting stats, but that's not, this is deserves for me, not about who puts up the best counting stats. One other guy I'll mention is OG Ananobi. I love OG. I just don't think he's going to get the opportunity. So I am going with the player that I had as the number two guy on my draft board last year going into it, Lonzo Ball. I think he'll have a nice year. He's a good defender, good team player. And while I worry a little bit about his role, Next to LeBron, just because he's going to have to shoot more, you know, it's a higher proportion of his value. I just think he's a wonderful basketball player, and so I'm going with him. Yeah, he probably would have been second on my list. I am going to go with Dennis Smith Jr. I think in part because you said he was so damaging last year. I think he he really, in the preseason, has looked good. His jumpers look good, taking fewer jumpers off the dribble, which I think will really help him. He's been getting the room. I, I'm, uh, I think he has the biggest potential to really break out, although, as you mentioned, I mean, I'm not like, firm on that there's a lot of guys i mean that's a real good draft last year who could break out conspicuously absence from that list uh markel fultz uh for either of us which is kind of sad um yeah well i have him kind of in the smith fox group where he's just going to need to improve a lot and with the worries about his jump shot still like he's he he he's also considered but not high on the also considered list most improved player markel fultz <laughs> That's actually who I'm picking. I, I to really? win, not who I think will deserve it. My dis- I, I think. Okay. Yeah, I guess. I, think I, I guess the the, uh, the storyline is there. It's it's there. Uh, so I'll go. I'll go through deserves first, though. What's so weird is like I, a lot of my deserves are young guys, even though I don't feel like they should win the award just because it's so hard to predict like a Victor Oladipo improvement. You know, like that. I'm just going to predict off the guys that I feel more comfortable with. So my order there on the deserves list was Derek White. I think he looked a lot better to me in summer league and during the season, he will miss the first six to eight weeks, but I think he'll have plenty of opportunity. Torian Prince, I liked what I saw from him and he'll have an opportunity with them just figuring out that whole team being in flux. Dennis Smith, we already talked about that. Markel Fultz. He, you know, I think Fultz, what he did last year was underappreciated because we were focusing so much on his shot, but he still, I, I still love his talent. I had him number one in his class for a reason. And then the last guy is De'Aaron Fox. I like De'Aaron Fox. The fact that he is more comfortable with his jump shot, I think is a very important step. Whether he wants to shoot it is more, in some ways, more important than whether it goes in, just because if teams have to think about it, respect it, all that kind of stuff, though those two things run together. I generally just make second year players ineligible. For this because they all really are expected to take a big step um my pick is jamal murray uh another guy who we both like maybe me even more than you for a while uh hasn't shot it great in camp apparently which is a little bit of a reason for pause but this is one that's always impossible so i'll roll through some other candidates i mean picking one guy for this you know you're this guy you're saying he has a five percent chance and everyone else is a four percent chance so um I actually think that Giannis Antetokounmpo, who will never win in a million years because he already has won it, uh, if this jump shot improvement that we're seeing is real, and then with the coaching and the the more cogent offense around him, you know, I think he could take a step uh, forward again. Uh, you know, and, and we've thought the last couple of years that he didn't have that in him to even like what is the way that he goes forward here. Uh, you know, maybe this is the year that it finally happens with the jump shot rather than just getting even more efficient dominating around the rim. Joel Embiid is another one, actually, again, who is at a really high level, but the fact that he's able to actually train, get into shape, could be huge for him. If he really can start dominating the paint, you know, being a shack size figure on post-ups, you know, just fouling guys out of the game, you know, he has that potential. Um, sadly, DeJounte Murray was uh, on my list, and then he tore his ACL. Um, I could also, although I'm not as high on him as others, I could see Devin Booker 
being someone who might deserve. He took a major step forward last year. Along those same lines of a guy that I'm not as high on, D'Angelo Russell could put sure. together a much better year, and that could help him a yeah. lot. So he could he could get in that the, conversation. One thing that struck me about Russell too is like he's so slow that like he never like he can't push the ball. You know, he he brings the ball up so slowly. Like he's he's just like not a good transition player with the ball in his hands. Yeah, for for whatever reason, I would just like to visualize like him and Kyle Anderson <laughs> competing, like doing the speed dribble down the court. I'm assuming D'Angelo Russell would be significantly faster, but I they're both guys that I'm just sitting there going, "Come on, like that that sort but, of a thing." Oh, another guy that I would mention here is Pascal Siakam. Yeah, he should have been because on list. he was he was so much better last year than the year before. Nick Nurse is going to unlock more from him. I really like it, but I want to go through some of my guys on the prediction on the will be side. Because that's a little bit different. I'm not going to repeat any of the guys that I already said. But so the I have Fultz winning it. But then the other ones, James Ennis. I mean, I think this is going to be the best year of his career. And a lot of that is about opportunity more so than being a better basketball player. Jeremy Lamb, the 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 mailbag podcast for the Patreon that we did, what ended up partially being a love fest because Liam and I are both still believers in Jeremy Lamb. So we started talking about that. Scal, if he gets a chance, I still believe in him. I don't know if he's going to get that chance because Sacramento just has so many guys, but maybe he does. Well, if, if Jaeger plays Siakam. four bigs together, he'll, he'll have, get a chance. <laughs> and then one, maybe this is more aspirational for me than anything else, but I would love to see Dante Exum in this conversation. I'm just such a believer in his talent, and you know he fits in well with what Utah has done in terms of kind of spreading out the playmaking. I think that's something that he could fit in well, depending on how they structure the second unit. So I'd love to see Exum in here. So I'm allowed a little wishful thinking. So I'm putting Yeah, it. I think actually maybe next year is it. If if he shows some signs this year and they let Rubio go uh, or re-sign him at a lower kind of more backup type of number, I think the point guard market's going to be really flooded next year. So maybe that's realistic. Uh, but Exum, the, there's no way he's going to start this year, I don't think. So, uh, you know, it's hard for me to, to see him get in that conversation. But next year, if he becomes a starter, you could see that taking over uh, a couple other guys i wanted to mention here uh on people i think are going to deserve it uh potential or not even that they're going to but that they could end up deserving it zach levine uh has had a very nice offensive uh, preseason and obviously was terrible last year rodney hood another guy who can bounce back from how bad he was and that's something that can be a part of this and i agree with you also on uh on torian prince uh player who will most beat regression this year or the LeBron James Chris Paul award. Uh, I guess we could just let's just not include them this year, maybe because <laughs> it always just ends up being then. Oh God, those yeah, that was my those were my picks again. Um... Well, I'll give you mine. Steph Steph hmm. Curry uh, is going to be mine. You know, he's going to be thirty one. Yeah, I think he'll be better year. than last year. Yeah, that's interesting. Uh, I mean, he was pretty damn good last year when he did, but but he's actually been you know forty two percent on threes rather than forty five percent the last couple of years so we'll see whether we can get there and then another guy too al horford uh, who has done a great job of you know i think he's aged as well as anyone could have hoped in a celtics uniform and then lebron and chris paul obviously i didn't mean to put you on the spot here because i i just mentioned now like hey maybe we should just like make these guys ineligible since they just win it every year anyway yeah i think lebron has gotten that for me every single year that we've done that which is i think four now three or four something like that now I'm just trying to figure out how old Tyreek Evans is. I think he's 28 or will be 28 this year. He is now 29. Yeah. So I think he's still too young to, to qualify. Yeah. I also expect him to regress. 
Well, oh, yeah, yeah. Well, that, that the other guy I was thinking of that, that in other words, those I don't expect this to happen, but it could would be Lou Williams. I mean, Lou Williams putting together the best yeah. years of his career, arguably over the last couple of years. He could, I mean, he, you could argue that he deserved the award last year. Yeah, that's a great point, and I picked him for six man, so yeah, he probably should be on this list too. Um, biggest surprise team, and if different team that will see the biggest year to year win improvements. I had three different teams winning double digit games a double digit increase in wins memphis but that's because of health so i consider that something different dallas it's kind of a mix of different things and the lakers and yeah, what's hard none for of those me will be surprises surpri- everyone's exactly so so what i have as basically what i thought of was teams that will be surprising to the late to a lay person not to us because we talk yeah. a lot and the people not necessarily the people who listen to this podcast and so for me those two teams i have utah number one i have them winning 55 yeah. games i think that's a shock to a lot of people and then milwaukee winning 50 i mean that's a, a big change for them as well so those are those are big surprises to a lay person um the Clippers would be another one. I, I second both of yours. Uh, Milwaukee would be my p- one pick if I had to. Um, this may surprise people, but I think actually Charlotte and not they have no upside. But I think actually if they got to like you know forty three or forty four wins and we're kind of in the conversation with you know and they've been they're always so spectacularly unlucky. Uh, you know I'm not picking this to happen, but it's one that if you're still like oh who is a twenty five percent chance of being a really surprising team. Uh, and people are so low on them right now that if they just got to like 44 wins or something, I think that would actually qualify as like a pretty big surprise. Brooklyn maybe is another one too, if they get into the playoff conversation. Um, how about a biggest surprise player? And again, I think your caveat was an important one of, you know, not necessarily to us. I mean, it's we're probably not going to surprise you, the listeners, with this because we've talked about these people on the preview pods or whatever. But just, you know, two, two people, you know, who generally are kind of casual observers of the league. I'm going to go with Jetty Osman. Ooh. I think he's going to start, it looks like, for Cleveland. I think he'll have a nice year, compete on both ends of the floor. I like him a lot as a player. He'll kind of come out of nowhere because he was kind of that curio type of guy last year where he, every once in a while he get on the floor for a, a, a well-known team and be like, oh, who's that guy? The other ones I want to mention, Torian Prince. I do like what he could do this year. The return of Danilo Gaunari as a positive player whenever he gets on the floor like i've forgotten sometimes how good he is when he can actually be on the floor so that's something a little bit different than the other two i've mentioned them for other categories josh hart james ennis i like both them as players i bet i'm on this train already and so i'm just waiting for other people to join me eric bledsoe is uh probably gonna be my number one pick uh because people are so down on him after that playoff series i think he's kind of forgotten that he was a really good player uh, at times at phoenix and i think that bud is really gonna help curb some of his worst tendencies get the most out of his athleticism uh james dennis is going to be someone who's you know contributing to a playoff team that no one really has ever heard of you know not only a playoff team but a really you know championship contender josh hart uh who i, I guess he plays for the lakers so it's hard to say that he's not getting enough pub and, and he was the summer league mvp but still i think he's going to just be such a crucial player for them because you know he's one of the two guys on the team who can make a three and defend uh, so I think he's going to end up playing a lot of minutes when it counts. And then here's one, actually, that you probably won't expect to hear. Hassan Whiteside, because I, I haven't talked about the Heat. I didn't do their preview pod. Uh, but I think just relative to many's expectations, you know, certainly he's like kind of a clown in some ways. And he complains and, you know, everyone is just, you know, down him as being overpaid. and He'll remain overpaid. But important to remember that he was injured for most of last year. And I think if he's healthy, he can still really produce in some ways be a a force around the rim 
be a, a, an effective scorer and offensive rebounder, which we just didn't see from him uh, last year because he was just you know too injured. Plus, he's also bringing this year's hashtag as of now is Whiteside threes versus Whiteside assists. So I'm excited about that that he can bring that in. And yeah, Whiteside's a, Whiteside's a compelling one because I think that like people like us sometimes underappreciate what he does. But I also don't think what he does is as valuable for Miami specifically. So I, I don't know. Like it, it, it's an interesting choice. I'm not. I'm not criticizing it as a as a choice. It's just I don't know. He's always a hard guy for me to reconcile. Let's go to the negative side of the ledger. Uh, your pick for most disappointing team. Uh, if you're going purely against their over under, I'd probably say the New York Knicks. Uh, I think I have them for 25 wins, and, and their over under is 29. But you know, I mean, they're they're going to not be good. Everyone knows they're not going to be good. So I, I probably won't pick them. I think San Antonio missing the playoffs, uh, even though maybe more people are going to pick them and miss the playoffs with the Murray injury, but I, I think that's probably the one. It's just this is the year that the magic just finally ends uh, for them, I believe. Um, some other potential candidates, I think Chicago and Cleveland, uh, and then even Boston and Philly in the regular season, I could see being mild disappointments. I, I'm not picking that, but I see some risk. Uh, for both of those teams at least in the regular season i think boston's gonna have their shit together but by the playoffs though so uh san antonio is is my ultimate pick there though my two teams are cleveland for reasons i think you you just laid out and i mean also the idea that they'll be they'll be shaky this year but i think the degree will be surprising to some people and then the other one i was trying to think of a young team that people like that just won't take as big a leap and i ended up going with orlando there there isn't really a clear-cut fit but just their flaws haven't really been corrected and i don't think that steve clifford is the answer for a, a couple of different things hopefully their defense is a little bit better but they've kind of been that team for a year of like, Oh, they're going to break out. But the hard part about that is they only ended up winning 25 last year. Like I, I think the, I think I predicted 31. So they'll be better. They'll win. They'll win more games. But that idea, I, I don't think they're going to show as many signs. And that leads into most disappointing player for me. And for me, that's, so I had two guys at the top and it's funny because one is on Cleveland and one is on Orlando, which are my two most disappointing teams for Cleveland. It's Kevin Love. You picked him on the regression podcast that we did. I don't think he's necessarily going to regress as much. I just think the people who expect or think anything close to Minnesota, Kevin Love is coming back are just deeply mistaken. And then the other guy is Aaron Gordon. Gordon, my big concern with him, and it's been this way for years, is just that he's a good player, but I don't think that he really scales well. And since they didn't solve the point guard issue, again, I think it's just that other people are higher on him than I am. And I think he's just not going to be put in a situation to succeed. Yeah, uh, because I'm a negative person, I have a lot of these. Um... Oh, I have another nine disappointing oh, yeah, players. Yeah. Uh, I mean, are we still allowed to say Andrew Wiggins? <laughs> uh, or, or is it pretty much solidified there? I think it's probably solidified. He, he might be off this list because expectations are just low. Uh, I got a couple of second year guys here. Uh, Josh Jackson, uh, I think just, you know, it's going to become clear this year that he is not going to, especially considering how awesome that draft was, that he is just not in the same category of the people who are drafted around him. Uh, Markel Fultz, again, I think it's just the jump shot is not even close to there. I don't think this experiment of starting him is going to go very well. He still has a lot of magic in those handles, his ability to get to the basket is passing, but it just, it just doesn't seem like it's right. You know, it just, it, it doesn't feel good to me. Um, so those are two that I would point to. Um, he's coming in at the end of the year, but I think DeMarcus Cousins 
you know, is going to be playing 20 minutes a game for the Warriors in the playoffs, uh, and that he's going to be a train wreck on defense and, and it's just, you know, coming off the Achilles is not going to look amazing. Um, you know, he may give them some bursts of scoring, but I think he's going to give more of that back on the defensive. I think actually one, one way that he is going to provide the most value would be with his shooting. Uh, but yeah, you know, I just, especially coming off the Achilles tear during the season, I don't have high expectations for him. Uh, Dwight Howard, not going to be healthy to start the season. It sounds like, uh, with that back issue, who knows when, when he'll be back there. And, you know, if he's, if he's not healthy, he's going to just be an absolute statue. Uh, I think I, I, I'm not going to pick this, but I do think there's a pretty good chance that Brandon Ingram could be a big disappointment this year. Just taking a lot of long twos in the preseason, not looking to take the three pointer, you know, it's finishing around the rim well, but you know, I'm not sure that he's going to be able to prop up this defense all on his own. And, and that again, just be more even because of the bad fit around him than his own problems. I think he's just not going to have as good of a year as people are expecting. I don't think, you know, if you're looking at him to be the number two player on a really good team to play at that level right now, you know, I'm not sure he's going to get there yet. I think that's what most are expecting out of him this year. Yeah, I I can definitely see that. I kind of threw my guys into my other players into a two different camps. One is regression. We already talked about these guys a lot on that previous podcast, so I'll just say their names. Goran Dragic, Wayne Ellington, PJ Tucker. I think those are guys that just could be worse this year, and so that would be somewhat disappointing. Then the other group is, I guess I would say it's players that other people think more highly of and have higher expectations for. That group, that's where Aaron Gordon and Kevin Love are as well. Blake Griffin, Kyle Anderson, I mean, he was wonderful for the Spurs last year, but I just I, yeah. I don't think that he's going to be like a yeah. big part of the answer. Uh, another there. guy who's just Dwight not Howard be in position to succeed playing the three in Memphis, right? I could. I'm not saying this is the most likely scenario, but I could see Devin Booker in this, just in terms of expectations versus results. That could be an issue. Another guy in this, Larry Nance Jr. I think pe- for whatever reason, like people think Larry Nance is is awesome, and I think you know he'll be a part of the rotation there. Wiggins is in this camp for me. Dennis Schroeder because I just don't know how he's going to fit in that role whenever Russell Westbrook comes back and they really slide Schroeder into where he's going to be. And then the last guy, this is just, I just don't think he's as good as other people do, is Alfred Payton. I, I think that gamble is not going to work out particularly well for New Orleans. They have other guys to try out. I'm still very high on them as a team, but I'm not high enough for Payton. Executive of the year. This was a tough one this year because none of the teams that made big changes other than the Lakers, uh, uh, except for one, which I'll get to, uh, are looking like they're going to be very good usually there's who wins this there's a component of having made changes in the offseason and then being really good and there aren't that many of those teams uh you don't think that uh rob Polinka, i don't think he, or, or magic johnson whoever you want to give it to there uh you know they rolled out the red carpet for lebron but i don't really care for what they've done building around him. i actually really like their work in the year and a half prior to lebron but if we're talking about for this season uh now, maybe they make some moves during during the season. And I've said this with uh, Darius on the preview pod that I think this Lakers team could be a real juggernaut. They're just like a couple of players away, you know, who can shoot and defend. And so if they can get those guys, then maybe you could see uh, Magic and Palinka moving up the list. But my pick is going to be Masai Ujiri. You know, I think the Raptors are going to be really good. He got uh, Kawhi Leonard. And more importantly, I just, there's really a dearth of other candidates, you know, even some of the teams that we expect to break out, you know, Milwaukee didn't really make any personnel changes. Utah didn't really make any personnel changes. So it's tough to pick those guys. Uh, so I, I, Masai would probably be my pick. 
I am picking Masai to deserve it, and I am picking Magic Palenka to receive it because it is often a lagging is, indicator and getting LeBron peers though. Yeah, but I think that getting LeBron will be a big deal. Yeah. Like that, that that they'll respect that uh, I, and I, I, and get all yeah. of it. And again, if Masai like Masai, if they have a worse record than last year, even if it's like because of a lot of really good decisions. I don't. I don't expect him to get. It, but I. I was going through my offseason grades, and I, I think they did the best job. All right, that will do it uh, for today's program. Tomorrow, our live show uh, will be back. So uh, look for us uh, to tweet that out. If you don't know what that is, we Danny and I sit down and call games live. You, you sync up to us, mute your TV, or just listen to us during the commercials as well, which we don't have. We'll take questions for people on Periscope. Follow me there. Uh, at Nate Duncan NBA or on Twitter, you'll be able to find it as well, even if you don't have uh, Periscope. Uh, and uh, can't wait to do that. It's been a while. Hopefully, we're not too rusty because it's not like it's not like I've been like practice calling games during the off season. So uh, we'll have to see how that goes. But again, thanks for listening, and uh, we will talk to y'all tomorrow night when we have the first full night of games in the books. Till then, Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest. But let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So. No, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil.